Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Hope for Heroes, Texas. This is Brad Cornell, and we're serving those who serve us. If you haven't joined us before, Hope for Heroes, Texas, what we do is bring in first responders from around Texas. And yes, we bring them into the Bevy Hotel, give them a beautiful night at the Bevy Hotel. We give them a gift card to spend right here in Bernie, Texas, and they have an incredible time. And of course, it's all in the greeting. Well, on today's episode, we have got a fantastic first responder that's going to be sharing some great stories, because that's what we do here. Under the weight of the badge. Glad you joined us. You've seen it all. And it's 15 years. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Brad Cornell. Hope for Heroes. You're back on HopeForHeroesTX.org. Go on that website. Listen to uh, to what's going to happen on a Saturday morning. You know, Hope for Heroes. We try to bring in, we don't try, we do. We bring in some incredible first responders from around the, the uh, Austin, San Antonio area. Bring them into the Bevy Hotel. Give them an amazing greeting and a great room and a, and a gift card. I mean, you've got to come. Go on the website, HopeForHeroesTX.org. Check that out. And today, I'm honored and blessed. You know, the Weight of the Badge podcast is what you're listening to right now. And these officers and these first responders, they carry that weight of the badge. And I'm so blessed. Just as you know, we're civilians out here. And we are not really don't really know just what it takes to do what they do. And we want to stick our head in the sand most of the time and not even know what they do. But what they do is totally amazing. And so I'm so blessed today. You know, I'm uh, always, we always wonder what goes on once the yellow tape goes around the crime scene. We don't get to see anything. So as I bring these heroes on that have been working in different areas, we had, uh, we had Matt Harmatuck on last week. He was a sniper and a, and a SWAT officer and all these different hostage negotiators and just stuff that we just kind of want to know what it's like. And today I'm so amazingly blessed to have a, uh, a homicide detective on, and he has been doing this for almost 28 years he's been in the law enforcement and um his name is david fugit and he is just really an amazing guy he's got a wife and three kids and getting to know him of course austin pd is just so special you know they've kind of started with hope for heroes and they is what really kicked the whole thing off so uh, you're gonna really be interested to see what he has to say today and i am honored and blessed to be able to introduce to you today a homicide detective along with everything else david welcome to the Weight of the Badge podcast. Well, thank you, Brad. I'm, I greatly appreciate it, and uh, I'm thankful that we were finally able to, to connect. Yes, sir. And you probably seem like you, you carry, when you talk about the weight of the badge, my gosh, tell me how you got started in this. And I know you've been 28 years, but give me a little background of David. Sure. So I was raised in a military family. My dad was in the U.S. Army. So, uh, it's quite a bit of discipline, and, and I've always been raised with the utmost respect for those who serve. I uh, graduated from high school and started taking criminal justice classes at the local community college during the day. You know, I was not old enough to be a police officer yet, so I started dispatching up at the police department at night. And uh, while I was working on my associate's degree, I ended up getting my associate's degree, met my wife, and then I transferred to Texas State University and continued working on my bachelor's degree. And when I turned 21, that's when I applied with the police department and I was hired. Wow. So did you have a background in your family or did you, what made you want to be a police officer? So my father, uncle, and the brother are uh, in the military, but I just always had that desire to, to serve in, in some, you know, some uh, facet. And law enforcement, I've always had respect for them and, you know, really just wanted to emulate that and, uh, and help out the local community as best I could. And I felt that that was the best position to do it in. So you started off, you started off as a patrol officer. 
I did. Yes, I went to the academy, and just as with any officer, you start out on a patrol position, and I worked in southwest Austin for about four and a half years, but I took the promotional exam at first opportunity. I really wanted to get into investigations, and my first assignment as a detective was with the Juvenile Missing Persons Unit, Uh, and it was while I was in that unit that I got my first major assignment where I was the lead investigator on the case of uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Who's a, a famous atheist? Oh yeah, uh, who uh, was kidnapped and she was ultimately murdered, uh, along with her son and adopted uh, granddaughter. Wow! So you worked that case. That was your first big case. That was my first big case. Gee, yeah, so you went I right was... to the top. <laughs> that is a big case. <laughs> yeah, it took quite a bit of time to, to review that and really sink my teeth into it and. I joined that case at the point where it was starting to evolve and we were really focusing on uh, Madeline Muriel Hare's office managers being the prime suspect in that case. So I worked hand in hand with the, with the FBI and the IRS and the, and the local homicide unit here at the Austin Police Department. I was in that juvenile missing persons unit for about a year and a half. And then uh, my supervisor transferred to the family violence unit and uh, told me that he was anticipating in the vacancy and asked me to put in for it. So I went to the family violence unit, and I was there for about three and a half years. And our rate in homicides, 50, about 50% of all of our homicides are dating or family-related. So it was kind of a natural transition for me over time to, to then go from family violence to, to the homicide unit, where I've been a uh, detective for a little over 19 years now in homicide. Wow, 19 years in homicide. You know, that's just amazing when you look at it, all the things that you guys have to do. Have you seen it as it has it become just so much more of a, when I say a science, but what it was 19 years ago till now, has there been just a lot of breakthroughs, a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, when you solve a case, because there's some, I'm sure, not easy, but I mean, it's easier to solve than others. Has it come a long ways? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. When I first started back in 2003, you know, even the testing for DNA or developing profiles, we had to have, you know, a significant amount of blood. And we were really doing just classifications then, you know, AB plus positive. But now we've got test DNA where, you know, you can get DNA, you know, just by merely somebody coming into contact with the, with the surface. Another thing that's really developed over time, too, is when I first started, we were still using Polaroid cameras in the homicide unit. We didn't have the ability to send photos from the crime scene back up to detectives here at the homicide unit. So if I was out at the scene and we had a murder weapon, I could take a picture of it with a Polaroid, and then I'd have an officer drive the Polaroid back to the homicide unit so that they could take a look themselves. So you can just see now how we've gone from from Polaroid cameras to to digital cameras, where we can take hundreds, if not thousands of, of crime scene photos so it's yeah it's advanced quite a bit and this is what you've been doing for 19 years it's come a long ways but how how do you get a case like how does it work just as a a civilian here that just goes you go to work they said hey we just had a homicide over here on the south side how do you begin that whole thing yeah so in a homicide unit we have 15 detectives and we work on a ladder rotation so if you can kind of madden Imagine the rungs on a ladder. The detective that's on the very top rung is in position to assume lead of the next homicide that occurs in the city. Oh. That could be five minutes from now. It could be, you know, two days from now. And then the detective that's typically on the fourth or fifth rung down is going to be the primary support detective. 
So when that homicide occurs, the two of them will be married to that case from the very beginning all the way through trial and, and even beyond. And then the other detectives will assist for the first 24, 48 hours, just depending upon how complex the case may be. You know, assisting with witness interviews, writing search warrants, uh, overseeing, you know, processing of the crime scene, processing of the body and autopsy. So really, I think probably the most difficult thing early on for lead investigators is just to stay on top of what everybody else is doing at the time. Yeah. And so you go out, you know, they call you, you go out to the crime scene, right? For lack of a better word, I guess that's what they call it, the crime scene. And then it is. how do you process that? I mean, here you're, you know, I mean, you're just, you're human. (laughs) And the stuff you've seen over the last 19 years has got to be just horrific. How do you, um, how do you process that? I mean, is it just a, a wall that's up that you just, this is your job? And because you've got to see some things, David, that are just horrendous. Yeah, well, that's, sometimes that's easier said than done, but you really got to uh, compartmentalize. You know, it's, it's a defense mechanism that we use to just separate that. So when I go out there and I'm processing crime scene and I'm looking at somebody that was just murdered, you know, I don't necessarily look at it as somebody who's just eating, breathing, speaking moments beforehand. You know, I really look at that. Uh, as a body of evidence, you know, trying to determine what type of evidence I can glean from them. You know, potentially is there foreign DNA underneath the fingernails that came in contact with somebody? If it's a secondary dump site and the body had actually been moved, is there a possibility there could be fingerprints around the wrists or around the ankles? So those are the types of things that I'm really focused on and on that moment in time, you know, and you kind of block everything else out. Yeah. Well, that's got to be a feat in itself. Is there a, is there a thread that runs through all homicides? Is there kind of a constant or you just really everything's new yeah it just varies from from case to case you never really see two that are exactly the same and in addition to the homicides we investigate every year we also investigate suicides accidental deaths and and a good number of natural deaths that's not really apparent is how the person died and it may be elderly but we're sure that it's not an accidental drug overdose or something along those lines so it's it's not definitely not the same mundane thing day in and day out. And uh, that's what uh, really keeps us going. You know, I don't think there's anything more rewarding on a homicide uh, than to be able to contact the family, you know, although we cannot change the circumstances, but to be able to tell them that, you know, we've identified and apprehended the person responsible for killing their loved ones. And yeah, that's, that's really what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, through this, in these last years, of course, it seems like there's in the, in the, uh, in the police officer, law enforcement alone, you know, it's such a mental, it's such a mental challenge now. There's been so many guys, you know, the, hom- I mean, our, the, just the suicides now in the uh, police and first responders is just getting terrible. And it's now they've got these, you know, it's a big mental health issue. And of course, you've got to be at the top rung of that. I mean, you see some things every day that are incredible. And so, you know, it seems like it's getting better as far as helping all, all the officers work through that. Do you see a lot of help coming for those kind of things that you just have to deal with? Yeah, and I think that the, the project you work on with the Hope for the Heroes is a great organization. You know, the support we receive from your listeners makes all the difference, and uh, it definitely provides that hope. You know, I had the opportunity to listen to you just a few weeks ago at the uh, APA Hall, and, uh, and, the, and the speech that you had given was really rejuvenating. You know, realize that there's a great deal of support for law enforcement out there. We don't necessarily hear it on a daily basis, um, but but we know that it's out there. Taking the worst and hoping for the best. Yeah, we are 
Hey, folks, Brad Cornell, Hope for Heroes here. And uh, I'm excited about today's podcast, The Weight of the Badge. This program is sponsored by the Apache Rifle Works up in Comfort, Texas. Paul Duran Jr., my gosh, what a blessing he is. So thank you for your sponsorship of this program. And we want to thank you again for what you do for the, all the officers and all the people that are uh, needing guns. Go to Apache Rifle Works right there in Comfort, Texas. take the world of you guys and again if you know if you're going to be coming to a hope for heroes here soon and you're going to see what we're talking about because we do want to support you guys and you know we not only pray for you a lot <laughs> because of what you go through but i don't think people understand a regular a civilian like myself might go through you know two or three terrible tragedies in my lifetime where you guys see hundreds of them and so to process all that and you're you know i think we forget out here that you guys are human you know, when, when the officers show up at a Hope for Heroes event, you know, a lot of times I'll tell the people after you guys leave, did you, you know, you, if you were walking down the street, you wouldn't know that they're just, they're people. You guys are just out there doing some incredible things. You're called to do what you do. Um, I know you've gotten a, a bunch of awards. I saw in 2018, you got the Crime Victims Heroes Award. Um Detective of the Year from the Rotary Club in 2019, APD Unit of the Year. Doggone. I mean, you know how proud that makes me as a civilian and in our country just to see what you guys do. And I'm so proud to be able to work with you, David, and the guys that you up at Austin PD. And as you do the um, as you do the homicide and you, you you go out on it, what do you want people really to know? I mean, you know, you've got your I'm sure you come home because I think communication is a big deal now that um, you know with with your wife and you. Is it hard? I mean, kind of hard. How was your day at work, darling? Well, I don't really want to tell you. I mean, you know, that's got to be our yeah. conversation. I mean, like, you know, you don't even tell her how many things you had for lunch. But I mean, yeah. do you discuss sure. cases with her? Like, I mean, do you, how do you communicate? You know, my wife and I have been married for 29 years oh, now. Great. So, yeah, she was with me. We started dating. I was a year out of high school. Well, when you talk about the weight of the badge, um, and my wife is is really helped shoulder that weight for me through the years. And there's no way that I'd be able to do this this type of work with, without her. You know, it's not easy to discuss what we do on a daily basis with somebody that cannot relate to what we what we do. You know, we deal with with death day in and and day out. And usually, when somebody finds out that I am a homicide detective, you know, I usually get one of two reactions: either one, they think that's incredible and really exciting. Or somebody else thinks that it's the most important thing that they've ever heard. You know, but homicide investigation is definitely not as glamorous, uh, you know, as it may be depicted on a sterile TV or, or a movie screen. You know, it's 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 pretty gritty work. Oh yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. You're absolutely right. It is real gritty work. If anybody ever doubts that, they're they're watching. Yeah, they're watching it on TV. <laughs> There's no way. Well, well, when you do talk to your wife about it, I mean, do you do you share some of the things with her, or do you just she over all these years now she just pretty much knows, I guess you know what you do, obviously. But I mean, how you uh, how you communicate with her on it? Yeah, she's a very very special woman in my life. You know, just being able to go home and and talk to her about the cases that that I work on and. And she hears it. I mean, she knows she's got to deal with what she deals with at work, and then I deal with what I do. Um, but as you said, that communication is absolutely essential to, to, to making it work. And 
my family's been extremely supportive. You know, I mean, there've been many nights where, you know, we catch a homicide and I may not necessarily be home for, for two or three days because we'll work it, you know, until we, we hit that wall. Yeah. There are times where I could be working a crime scene, 16, 17 hours and have an hour, hour and a half break before we have the autopsy examination. And so if I got an opportunity to take an hour power nap in my office, then I do it. I've got an office chair that actually folds out to a bed. So if I can stretch that out, then then I will. And so I've slept in slept in my office many, many, many a time. times. Yeah. Well, how are your kids? Um, are they involved in any? Are they looking towards law enforcement themselves, or they do? They're not. That's not in the wheelhouse. Yeah, I don't think at this time they're really focused on that. I've yeah. got a daughter that's really looking at possibly getting into the veterinary school, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, and the other's still in high school. She hasn't quite figured out what she wants to do yet. But uh, yeah, do you? But they're great, great, great kids. Oh, I'm sure. When you, when you're, are there other young homicide detectives, or if someone wants to get into homicide as they are a police officer, how does that work now? How does that do they, the training? Do they have to start working with you? If someone wants to get into homicide that is a officer, what? How does that work? Yeah, so we usually invite them over to spend at least a couple of weeks with us writing out. We'll try to expose them to as many di- different death scenes as as we can, and and some realize during that, you know that two-week period that this is not for them it's not what they thought that it would be you know they had this tv vision of what they thought homicide work was going to consume and and then for others you know they jump right in and you know a lot of the work that we do the training that we go through is is ojt you just have to get out there and do it i mean i've got classes and courses that i've taken over the years and in, in advanced homicide investigations and interrogations and blood spatter analysis and shooting reconstruction and you know, you put all that combination of all those those classes and that training together with real world experience, and I think that's what really leads to our success rate in, in the homicide units. Like I said, our five year rolling average on, on clearance is 88 percent. Um, so it's, it's very high, and uh, we take great pride in that. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, you are a hero, buddy. I mean, I said the weight of the badge you carry is huge. Um, and I want to ask you in the, in the last, say, fifth, let's just say five years, have you seen homicides in this crazy world we seem to be living in right now go way up? I mean, it seems like everybody's got a gun instead of arguing or, or fist fighting, they just shoot you. I mean, that's, yeah, that's probably it's, a basic it's, way of saying it, but it's true. No, no, it absolutely is true. I could say that our homicide rate in the city of Austin uh, between 2010 and 2019 was 30 homicides a year, three zero homicides a year. Uh-huh. We had a little uptick in 2020, and then in 2021, nearly 300% increase in homicides. Oh, really? We had, we had 89 homicides in Austin last year, and uh, we've had 55 so far this year. So we're, uh, we're on pace for having another astronomical year. Wow, you guys are busy. I mean, that's just incredible. Are you adding homicide homicide detectives to the force, or is it? I know there's so many things going on up in Austin. It just breaks my heart to see what's happening to a lot of these officers. And I know you're going through contract uh, negotiations and all kinds of things, and officers leaving. And I mean, is it is it getting better as far as you're getting some help? We're certainly trying. The defunding did not help. That's that's for sure. Yeah, that we, had, nice. uh, we had we uh, had twelve. Detectives assigned to the homicide unit, um, and we gained three additional spots last year. But with the increase that we're, we're seeing now, we're looking at incorporating the aggravated assault unit into our rotation. And, um, you know, that's only going to be sustainable for so long. Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you what, like I said, you know, what you do, and there's one thing I love the, the part of the, the end of your homicide investigators uh, the, of Texas Creed, let no one deter you from the truth or your personal conviction to see that justice is done, not only for the deceased, but for the surviving family as well. Man, that's good right there. Yeah, that I mean, just, that's what that's that's what it's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, because I've heard that you know, of course, I've talked to Box and uh, you know Ken Cassidy, which is you know, of course, retired, but you know, he thinks the world of you. There's so many officers are so you know blessed to have you there for sure, David. I mean, it's just been amazing. I've seen you. You know, you've been on different TV shows as as uh, you know guests up in the Discovery Channel and Court TV and all these uh, all these different guest appearances you've done. I mean, you're out there really trying to do so much for so many, and I just can't begin to tell you how much we appreciate you at Hope for Heroes, because you guys are heroes to us, and we mean it. We mean it like you can't believe. I mean, we want you to know that we love you, and we just, man, we just care so much about what you do. Because without you guys there, what happens? I mean, there's all, you know, that's all we need is more crimes that are, uh, you know, that are uh, unsolved, and so. I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on and speak with me for a little bit. We're going to have you on again. What would you like? What would you like the public to know? The guys like me out here that are, you know, we just, of course, we, I honor the heck out of you and thank you so much, but what would you like the public to know about what you do and kind of about the, our officers? Yeah. Just that the officers I work with are just outstanding. I mean, they're second to none. And I know that I can count on them any day or night, you know, particularly in the homicide unit, we're such a family and we work so closely with one another. I know at two or three o'clock in the morning, if I needed assistance with a search warrant or something, I could call one of them up and I know that they would, they would be there um, because we were all working for that, that common goal, as you said, not to bring justice just for the, the victim, but for the surviving families as well. And, uh, and we hold that true to the best. Yeah, you really do because, you know, that's a big deal. Not solving a case, just the whole family's on hold for sometimes years and years and years. And you need that closure no matter what how tragic it is. But uh, David Fugit, I'll tell you what, buddy, you are amazing. And I want to thank you so much. A homicide detective along with, I know, one of the big leaders in the force in what you do. So we want to thank you for coming on the Weight of the Badge podcast. Thank you for carrying that weight of the badge. And thank you for all you do. Do you have any uh, retirement in the future here before too long? Or are you just going to keep on going? <laughs> I've got some possibilities out there that I'm that I'm I'm looking at, um, but for the meantime, I'm focused on my cases. Okay, well, hey, you get down <laughs> to Bernie, Texas. You come on down to Bernie, Texas. Need to buy you and your wife dinner down here and uh, have you spend a weekend with us. So I want to thank you, sir. And again, I appreciate all you do and continue to do what you do. And um, we just can't thank you enough. So we look forward to seeing you again soon and talking with you. And thank you again, David, for what you do. Thank you, Brad, and uh, and hope for the heroes and all your listeners out there. We greatly appreciate the support. As I said, it, it makes all the difference. It really does. Hey, so glad you joined me today. Now, you're going to want to follow us because we've got some upcoming episodes that you're not going to want to miss. See you then. All the bad.